0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, which can be found on page 297 in our Pew Bibles. I mentioned earlier Isaiah being a book that Jesus quoted from a lot. Deuteronomy is another one he quoted from uh, quite a bit. This is um, Moses talking to the people just before they go into the land that God had promised their ancestors. And before they go in, this is a reminder of, when you get in there, here's how to live. The things to do while you're in there. Things will go well for you. This is Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 11. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word that you've given to us. This morning we ask that you would help us to hear your word. Lord, that as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, that it would not be um, just words. That it would not be just information or uh, some sort of entertainment. or that this would be your word and your spirit genuinely transforming and changing our hearts and our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone from among their own people, anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought, the seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites, who are poor and needy in your land. Our New Testament lesson. is just a few verses from First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter one verses six through nine which will be found on page eighteen eighty-six in your pew Bibles. This comes right after Peter has been talking about how we have been given new birth into a living hope and an inheritance like Jesus talks about when he says, You know, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Miles and Berman cannot destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And he says, this is what you have been given, this kind of an inheritance. This is what you have to look forward to. And then he picks this up, uh, 1 Peter 1, 6. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith Well, for those of you who are uh, good at paying attention to things, you may have noticed this morning uh, that the colors up here are different than they were a week ago or even two weeks ago. Uh, We have switched to purple, and there is a reason we have switched to purple this week, and this is because this is the first Sunday in the season of the church year known as Lent. This is the 40 day period that uh, leads up to Easter, and that began last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. Um, this is a time where we kind of have, we're kind of making this march on our way to, to Easter Sunday, this time where we really celebrate Jesus' victory over sin and death and evil. And it's, it's a wonderful celebration of that here's the problem. You don't get to the resurrection without going through the crucifixion. And so there's this simultaneously, like we are simultaneously approaching both the empty tomb, but also the cross. And so we're celebrating Jesus as the king who is uh, the victor over everything, but also the one that seems de- defeated by the world powers both at the same time and so that's what we're uh looking at that's what we'll be looking at today is what we'll be looking at actually through this whole season uh the way we're going to approach this is we're going to make our walk (laughs) to uh up to the cross and the resurrection but we're going to do so uh looking primarily at john chapter 12 here's the reason why we've just been looking at the uh the book of john the way that he tells this story of jesus and uh what we have just looked at what we saw last week was in John chapter eleven how jesus he, he did the thing <laughs> he did the thing that now is going to make everybody actually plot to kill him and that 's what we saw last week. well, what was the thing that he did? He raised Lazarus from the dead, and once he did that before he even got to uh, before he even got to Bethany to do this, you know he he hears that Lazarus is sick and the disciples are like, don't go anywhere close to Jerusalem. Bethany is close to Jerusalem. They're like, don't go there because they want to kill you there. But Jesus goes. He knows that he's on his way to the victory, but he's also on his way to the cross. And, uh, and so he goes. And when he says he's going to go, the disciples, Thomas actually speaking for them to well, let's go die with him. They, they all know this is where this is headed. If he goes to Bethany and does something amazing, they're going to kill him. And Jesus knows this too. And he goes to Bethany and he does something amazing. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's almost like this, uh, this picture of what's coming in his own resurrection. When he says, you know, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead, you can see what Jesus means by him being the resurrection and life. And yet in doing so, he's laying down his own life only to take it up again, which is what he says in John chapter 10. So this is, uh, we're now at the point of Jesus having done the thing. And so then what we looked at last week is how they are plotting against him. And they have now determined that, yes, he must be killed. And uh, and so that happens in chapter 11. And so chapter 12 is where we sort of kick off this um, march towards the cross. We will spend one Sunday in this season in the Old Testament just to help us understand what's going on in John 12, but primarily we'll be in John 12. The way that John then tells this story in kicking off this march towards the cross, the first thing he tells us that happens is another story with the same family of Lazarus, who's just been raised from the dead, and his sisters Mary and Martha with also some of the response from everybody else. So that's where we begin. This is John chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 11. Six days before Passover, uh, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance and the perfume, the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected: "Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages." He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. All right. We've got to talk about that last little bit there, because I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. We have to appreciate the comedy. Multiple times, just in this passage we read, John points out that Lazarus is the one that Jesus is raised from the dead, right? We hear that echoing. When we think Lazarus, we think raised from the dead. And in fact, that's what other people are thinking. That's why they keep coming to see Jesus now. is because he's la- raised Lazarus from the dead. And the chief priests know about this. And what's their response? Oh, we've got to kill Lazarus. It's like, well, if there's anything you know isn't going to work. <laughs> like we, what's the thing you know about Lazarus? Jesus raised him from the dead. Well, what if we kill him? Well, that, no, Jesus raises him from the dead. He's already done that. You should know by now that's not going to work. Anyway, that just takes us back to uh, Psalm 2 again, where... Oh, I'm going to quote this exactly. Um, why, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? <laughs> this, this is another one of those. Like, we got to do something, and it's like, it doesn't. you, you can't stop this. You, you want to kill Lazarus? You think that's going to help? That's not going to help. Anyway, it's just always funny to me when you hear again and again, he raises Lazarus from the dead, he raises Lazarus from the dead, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Maybe we could kill Lazarus. <laughs> Seriously? Anyway, like I say, don't want to spend a lot of time there, but do want to point out uh, <laughs> the people plotting in vain, just like it says in Psalm 2. Um, but what I do want to spend time on is not that response, uh, but, but what happens in this house. And so where are we? When is this? What's going on? And then what happens in this space? And uh, so where we are is we're now in that, the run-up to, Really, Good Friday. Uh, We are in that time where we're approaching the cross. We are right before Passover, and it's during Passover that it all goes down. And so uh, John tells us we're right before Passover, and where is he? He's in Bethany, just right outside of Jerusalem. This is where he is. It's the same place, actually, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, uh, that same town anyway. And this is one of those stories that actually is told in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They all tell this story as a part of telling the good news of Jesus. Um, They each have kind of different details they put in and uh, others they leave out and that sort of thing. As they tell this particular story, uh, so, you know, some tell whose house it was. John leaves that out. But you know what John does put in? He puts in things that let you know that he was there. That this is a part of his own memory and experience. It's not just something that he heard from somebody. He was there. And you know this. You also know that he knows the people. This is the only time that this story is told where we know the name of the woman. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's then a woman came in and did this. And John's like, yes, it was Mary. <laughs> this is someone He knows that he has a relationship with, that he was there when uh, Jesus is hanging out with this family. He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was there for uh, these events in this family's life. And so when Mary comes to John, this is not some woman who shows up. That's Mary. We know Mary. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is how she responds to Jesus being there. Here's another thing that he notes. He knows that the, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now to me, this is one of those things that if you heard about the story from somebody, that might be a detail you forget. It's not really a part of the plot. So why does he bring it up? Because for him, that's one of the things that floods his memory. When he thinks about this story, he's like, I, I can smell it all over again. <laughs> like when she broke that jar, when he, she pours this perfume on his feet, the whole house just it all smelled like perfume. It filled the whole space. This, like when I think about that day, if you've ever walked into a house uh, and it, you know someone's been baking bread or baking cookies, you know, that sort of thing. They tell you if you're like selling a house, that's one of the things to do. <laughs> people walk in and it's like, oh, it brings back all these wonderful memories. It's this good smell. and just takes you right back to uh, events of childhood or some such thing. But it just, it's one of those senses that just kind of takes over. And for John, when he thinks about this event, the smell comes back. It just comes back. And he's like, the whole house was, it was full of it. Do you need to know that? Maybe, maybe not. But John needs to tell you that. <laughs> it's like, this is important. For him. And so uh, to me, that just places John right there as this is going on. And, uh, but what is it that's going on? It's not just about the whole house smelling. It's about this woman. It's about Mary who is taking expensive perfume and wasting it, right? That's the story. Mary takes expensive perfume and wastes it. She just pours it out. It's no good anymore for anything. And that is exactly uh, Judas's take on it. That she has just poured out this uh, perfume. For what? Well, there are a few other times that we see people you know, having stuff poured on them in the Bible. And it's actually uh, the Hebrew word for pouring out like this is actually the word that we just translate as Messiah. It's to uh, be poured out. And so when Samuel pours out the oil on David's head to anoint him, that's what this is. And so when she is pouring out this oil on Jesus, she is anointing him. And we say, oh, I get it. Because Jesus is the true king. And so, just like Samuel pours out the oil on to David, so she is pouring out this perfume onto Jesus, showing and marking him out as this true King. And that is right. On the other hand, Jesus talks about it a little differently, doesn't he? Where he says, "Leave her alone," Jesus replies. Verse seven it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And so what Jesus is doing is he's taking this sign of him as the king, and he is just bringing it right together with his own death. Now, as people who know the rest of the story, that makes sense, of Jesus uh, becoming the king because he died. Of his victory over death because of his death. Like that makes sense to us on this side of Easter. But for the disciples, that doesn't make any sense at all. If Jesus dies, he loses, right? That's the way they take it. And so for him, as they're making this march to Easter Sunday, As they're going to Jerusalem, it seems like, and we're going to look at this more in the weeks to come, it seems to them like this is the time for him to be enthroned as the victorious king over Jerusalem and over all of Israel and maybe restored Israel back to the glory days of David and Solomon. Jesus has a much bigger kingship in mind and a very different way of ascending the throne than the kings of the past. And his involves the cross. His involves dying. And so we see him constantly trying to prepare his disciples for this. Yes, yes, kingship stuff. But that's going to happen through death. And we will see that again and again in the weeks to come. This both heading towards Easter, but also heading toward the cross. Um, Let's go back to Judas. I mentioned there are several things that John alone tells us. One of the things is who it is that objects. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are like, yeah, some people objected, or some of the disciples objected. And John's like, yeah, it was Judas. <laughs> he's the one who objected. He's the one who said, oh, what a waste. And I'll tell you why he said this, too, because he's a thief. <laughs> he's, he's the one who betrayed Jesus eventually. We'll get there. But also, even now, like, his heart's not in it, is it? And so we see this contrast between Mary and Judas. They are both following Jesus. They are both right there around Jesus. But Mary's response to Jesus and who he is and what this means for her is extravagance, generosity. She is just overflowing with this is the uh, the Grace and the Mercy and the Forgiveness I have received, and i just I just want to give everything to you. <laughs> I just want to pour myself out for you kind of a thing. Judas is also in the same room he 's in the same space he 's been following uh, Jesus, but his take on everything is not I want to give myself, <laughs> but he 's looking for well, how can I get what more? can I get? And he's still thinking in worldly terms. He's still thinking in terms of money and financial gain as though it's in money. We trust Which, as we mentioned in the children's sermon is not so <laughs> even our money is printed with the words in God. We trust Judas hasn't gotten that yet. And so he is the one who is uh, kind of the, the treasurer for the disciples <laughs> And so he kind of helps himself out of the bag, stealing from what people have given. And it's because of this that when she pours out this perfume, he says what he says. That's oh, a waste. And why is it a waste? It's a waste in his mind because it went to Jesus and not to him. And what he has in mind is, if this perfume is sold, to quote-unquote go to the poor, he knows what that really means is he's going to take a cut. And so he's not concerned about uh, giving to Jesus. He's not concerned about giving to the poor. However, he can get on board with giving to the poor if that means he can personally benefit financially. Is Mary concerned with what she can benefit, how she can benefit financially? No. No. No, what is her primary concern? And it's what she's already received. The love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness she has already received from Jesus, that's where her focus is. And that's why she is weeping at his feet. That's why she's pouring uh, perfume on him and the whole, the whole thing. Wiping his feet with her hair. Jesus says that she is preparing Him for burial. Um, She is more like anointing him as the king, proclaiming him as the one who is the true king. So you have both of those messages, that he is the king, but he's also going to die. And then right in between those, you have Judas, who misses both of those. He misses that Jesus is the king. He rejects him as the true king and instead is just seeking for what he can get and how he can gain financially. If you know the rest of the story, you know. His story ends tragically. Um, But in this contrast of... Jesus, or not Jesus, of Judas and Mary. One way to note the contrast, just in a single word, is generosity. That's the difference. What separates the two of them is generosity. Does Judas have a generous heart? He claims we should be given to the poor instead of wasting stuff, right? That seems pretty generous. But does he have a generous heart? No. He's okay with looking generous for other people. But he does not have a generous heart. What about Mary? Does she have a generous heart? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes. So what's the difference? Why does she have a generous heart and he doesn't? They've both been around Jesus. What is the difference? I'll just let you think on that one for a while. Oh, where did I put that? Hang on. Was in the wrong Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. Um, chapter 9 is normally where we go for talking about generosity. But in chapter 8, Paul's writing the church in Corinth, and he talks about uh, the Macedonian churches and their generosity and the way they've given. And the reason that I bring this up is because he talks about where their generosity is coming from. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And uh, as you go down further, he says that he wants the church in Corinth to also excel in this grace of giving. And then he says in verse 9, here's why. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, this is not just talking in financial terms. This is not saying if you follow Jesus, that's the way to get a larger bank account. That was Judas's heart. What this is saying is if you really understand what you have been given in Jesus, this overflows in generosity. Jesus tells a story, uh, a parable about someone who had been uh, forgiven a huge debt. And then he goes out and he's unwilling to forgive. And everybody who sees it thinks that's not okay. Okay because if he really understood what he'd been forgiven, he would be someone who's willing to forgive, right? And the point is the same here. If we understand what we have been given in Jesus, if we understand this uh, new birth we have into a living hope and the inheritance that cannot spoil or fade, as Peter talks about, if we get that, then what happens is we overflow with generosity, we overflow like Mary does in wanting to give ourselves, to give what we, have been, what we have received. When Jesus sends out the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, what he says to them is, freely you have received, freely give. What Moses is talking about to the people in Deuteronomy is, be open-handed towards the people who are in need. This idea of you have received, and it's, but it's not just for you to hold on to. Or to hoard. It is for it to pass through so that you can continue to give. That you are to be overflowing with joy. And that the, how that comes out is as we overflow into generosity. When we look at the contrast between Judas and Mary, as I say, we agree Judas does not have a generous heart. We agree that Mary does have a generous heart. And so the question again is what's the difference? Why? this difference of heart. And what I think it comes down to is the understanding of what they have actually received from Jesus, who he is and who he is for them. Mary is one who understands she needed a savior. The other... um, Gospels really talk about this being someone who is a sinful woman and the owner of the house is like, oh, I can't believe she's, you know, Jesus would let her touch him kind of thing. But that's not the way that Jesus receives her. She understands she needs a Savior and that Jesus accepts her as someone he's willing to save. This is why she overflows we have on the other hand is people who don't think they need a savior. Now I've got this all right. Maybe if I, you know, like, uh, Judas, if I just had a little bit more money, that'll get me through, but I don't need Jesus. That's where we have the difference of heart. And so that's the question I leave us with right now. We have a, a diagnose, diagnostic question, first of all, which is how are we doing when it comes to generosity? Is that something that is kind of flowing out of us, or do we tend to grab tightly and hoard the things that we've been given? And I don't say that as a you know, way to guilt you into giving more. Not at all. We're not supposed to give grudgingly, so don't do that. But it is a way of evaluating where we are in our heart. Is that because we have not understood what we have been given? Because if we are not overflowing with joy and with uh, gratitude and with generosity, that may be because we have not yet really understood what we have received in Jesus, who he really is for the whole world and even for us. Maybe we have not received what he has given for us and therefore uh, responded appropriately. So that's the... um, That is the challenge for us, the diagnostic question of generosity. But then, the further further side of that is, uh, there is a next step. If you have the desire to be generous, that that only goes so far unless you find ways to be generous. (laughs) And so maybe you have the urge, but you don't know where to go with that. Look. Look around. The needs are plenty. But if you don't have that desire, you don't need to look there yet. Instead, look at Jesus. Look at what he has given for you and pray that you would fully understand uh, what you have received in Jesus, that your heart would be changed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.